This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of spinal tuberculosis from the spine section on orthobullets.com. There is an increasing incidence of tuberculosis in the United States due to the increasing immunocompromised population. As far as the demographics for tuberculosis, the HIV-positive population is especially at risk. Spinal tuberculosis is often seen in patients with a CD4 count of 50 to 200. With respect to location, 15% of patients with tuberculosis will have extrapulmonary involvement. The spine, and specifically the thoracic spine, is the most common extrapulmonary site. And keep in mind that 5% of all tuberculosis patients have spine involvement. With respect to the pathoanatomy of spinal tuberculosis, let's talk about early infection versus chronic infection. As far as early infection, this begins in the metaphysis of the vertebral body and spreads under the anterior longitudinal ligament and leads to contiguous multilevel involvement, skip lesions or non-contiguous segments in 15% of patients, and paraspinal abscess formation in approximately 50% of patients. Usually, paraspinal abscess formation will be anterior and can be quite large, which is much more common in tuberculosis than pyogenic infections. With respect to early infection, spinal tuberculosis initially does not involve the disc space. This distinguishes it from pyogenic osteomyelitis, but can be misdiagnosed as a neoplastic lesion. With respect to chronic infection in spinal tuberculosis, you will see severe kyphosis. Specifically, the mean deformity in non-operative cases is 15 degrees, and in 5% of patients, the deformity is greater than 60 degrees. These infections are often diagnosed late, and there is often much more severe kyphosis in granulomatous spinal infections compared to pyogenic infections. In adults, kyphosis stays static after healing of the disease. In children, kyphosis progresses in 40% of cases because of the growth spurt. The classification of progression of spinal tuberculosis in children is the Rajasekaran classification, and this is divided into three types. Type 1 is an increase in deformity until cessation of growth, and this should be treated with surgery. Type 2 is associated with decreasing progression with growth, and type 3 has minimal change during either active healed phases. With respect to the presentation of spinal tuberculosis, the onset of symptoms of tuberculosis spondylitis is typically more insidious than pyogenic infection. You will often see constitutional symptoms like chronic illness, malaise, night sweats, and or weight loss. Back pain is often a late symptom that only occurs after significant bony destruction and deformity. With respect to physical exam, you may notice a kyphotic deformity. You may see neurologic deficits, which are present in 10 to 47% of patients with POTS disease, and the mechanisms of neurologic deficits include mechanical pressure on the cord by an abscess, granulation tissue, tubercular debris, or caseous tissue. Other mechanisms include mechanical instability from subluxation dislocation, and keep in mind that paraplegia from heel disease can occur with severe deformity. Other mechanisms include stenosis from ossification of the ligamentum flavum adjacent to severe kyphosis. With respect to imaging, keep in mind that 66% of patients will have an abnormal chest x-ray. A chest x-ray should be ordered for any patients in which tuberculosis is a possibility. With respect to spine radiographs, these appear different in early infection and late infection. Early infection shows involvement of the anterior vertebral body with sparing of the disc space. This finding can differentiate tuberculosis from pyogenic infection. Late infection shows disc space destruction, lucency, and compression of adjacent vertebral bodies and development of severe kyphosis. 
Risk factors for buckling collapse, otherwise known as spine at risk signs, include retropulsion, subluxation, lateral translation, and toppling. An MRI with gadolinium contrast remains the preferred imaging study for diagnosis and treatment. This modality allows you to diagnose adjacent levels, and keep in mind that multiple levels are involved in 16 to 70% of patients. With respect to findings on MRI with gadolinium contrast, you may see low signal on T1-weighted images and a bright signal on T2-weighted images. You may see the presence of a septate pre-slash-paravertebral-slash-intraosseous smooth-walled abscess with a subligamentous extension and breaching of the epidural space. You may also see end-plate disruption, which has a sensitivity of 100% and specificity of 81% for spinal tuberculosis. You may also see a paravertebral soft tissue window, which has a sensitivity of 97% and specificity of 85%. You may also find a high signal intensity of the disc on the T2-weighted image, which has a sensitivity of 81% and specificity of 82%. And with respect to the spinal cord, you may find edema, myelomalacia, atrophy, and or syringomyelia. A CT scan demonstrates lesions of less than 1.5 centimeters better than radiographs. However, CT is inaccurate for defining epidural extension. Findings on CT include various types of destruction, including fragmentary destruction, osteolytic destruction, subperiosteal destruction, and sclerotic destruction. Nuclear medicine studies should be obtained with a combination of technetium and gallium, these have shown to have the highest sensitivity for detecting infection. Studies to obtain in the setting of spinal tuberculosis include a CBC, an ESR, and a PPD. A CBC may show relative leukocytosis as well as low hemoglobin. An ESR is usually elevated but may be normal in up to 25% of patients. A PPD or a purified protein derivative of tuberculin is positive in approximately 80% of patients. With respect to diagnosis, a CT-guided biopsy with cultures and staining is effective at obtaining diagnosis. This biopsy should be tested for acid-fast bacilli. Keep in mind that mycobacteria or acid-fast bacilli may take 10 weeks to grow in culture. PCR allows for faster identification and has a 95% sensitivity and 93% accuracy. A smear will be positive in 52% of cases and cultures will be positive in 83% of cases. With respect to a differential diagnosis, other etiologies of granulomatous infection that may have a similar clinical picture as tuberculosis include atypical bacteria, fungi, and spirochetes. Specific types of atypical bacteria include Actinomyces israeli, Nocardia astroides, and Brucella. Specific types of fungi include Coccidioides imidis, Blastomyces dermatitis, Cryptococcus neoformans, and Aspergillosis. And with respect to spirochetes, you may see treponema pallidum infections that may have a similar clinical picture as tuberculosis. Treatment of spinal tuberculosis can be non-operative or operative. Non-operative management involves pharmacologic treatment plus or minus spinal orthosis. This is indicated in patients that have no neurologic deficits, and keep in mind that drugs are the mainstay of treatment in most cases. Pharmacologic agents include isoniazid, rifampin, ethambutol, and pyrazinamide therapy. The regimen typically includes rifampin, isoniazid, pyrazinamide, and ethambutol for two months, and then rifampin and isoniazid for nine to 18 months. A spinal orthosis may be used for pain control and prevention of deformity. 
operative options for spinal tuberculosis can include anterior decompression slash corpectomy, strut grafting, plus or minus posterior instrumented stabilization, plus or minus posterior column shortening. Other options include halo traction, anterior decompression, bone grafting and anterior plating, pedicle subtraction osteotomy, and direct decompression slash internal kyphectomy. With respect to an anterior decompression slash corpectomy, strut grafting, plus or minus posterior instrumented stabilization, plus or minus posterior column shortening, the indications include neurologic deficit, spinal instability, kyphosis correction, advanced disease with caseation preventing access by antibiotics, failure of non-operative treatment after three to six months, uncertain diagnosis, and a panvertebral lesion. With respect to a neurologic deficit, specific findings of worsening neurologic deficits, acute severe paraplegia with panvertebral involvement with or without subluxation slash dislocation are all indications for this surgical option. With respect to kyphosis correction, indications include greater than 60 degrees in an adult, progressive kyphosis in a child, greater than or equal to three vertebrae involved with loss of greater than 1.5 vertebral bodies in the thoracic spine, children less than or equal to seven years old with greater than or equal to three vertebral bodies affected in the thoracic or thoracolumbar spine, and greater than or equal to two at-risk signs are likely to have progression and should undergo correction. Late-onset paraplegia from kyphosis is another indication for this surgical option. However, keep in mind that cosmetic correction of kyphosis is controversial. Advantages of surgical treatment include less progressive kyphosis, earlier healing, decreased sinus formation, and in patients with neurologic deficits, early debridement and decompression has led to improved neurologic recovery. Some technical aspects to be aware of include that autogenous and allograft struct grafts are acceptable with good results, make sure to continue medical management with isoniazid, rifampin, and pyrazinamide, and keep in mind that chronic implant colonization is less common in tuberculosis and other granulomatous infections compared to more common pyogenic infections. With respect to halo traction, anterior decompression, bone grafting, and anterior plating, the indications for this is cervical kyphosis. A pedicle subtraction osteotomy is indicated for lumbar kyphosis. And a direct decompression slash internal kyphectomy is indicated to correct healed thoracic slash thoracolumbar kyphosis, and this also allows the spinal cord to transpose anteriorly. Now, let's go over some surgical techniques in a bit more detail, specifically the anterior decompression slash corpectomy, struck grafting plus or minus posterior instrumented stabilization plus or minus posterior column shortening. We've already discussed the indications, but in general include kyphosis and active disease. The technique can involve a single-stage transpedicular approach, a two-stage approach, or a single-stage extrapleural anterolateral approach. The two-stage approach involves an anterior decompression with bone grafting and a posterior kyphosis correction and instrumentation. Some complications to be aware of include deformity, retropharyngeal abscess that affects swallowing slash hoarseness, tuberculosis, arteritis, and pseudoaneurysm, respiratory compromise if there is a costopelvic impingement, sinus formation, and POTS paraplegia. With respect to deformity, that can be kyphosis slash gibbous. The highest risk is after anterior decompression and grafting alone. Keep in mind that slippage and breakage of the graft can occur especially if greater than two levels are involved. The lowest risk of deformity is after both an anterior and posterior fusion. With respect to POTS paraplegia, this refers to a spinal cord injury that can be caused by abscess slash bony sequestra or meningomyelitis. 
Abscess slash bony sequestra has a better prognosis than meningomyelitis as the cause of spinal cord injury. Finally, let's quickly discuss atypical spinal tuberculosis, which is defined as a compressive myelopathy without visible spinal deformity and without typical radiological appearance. The etiology can be from an intraspinal granuloma, neural arch involvement, collapse of the vertebral body, and or sclerotic vertebra with bridging of the vertebral body. The treatment for atypical spinal tuberculosis can be a laminectomy or a decompression and myelotomy. The indications for a laminectomy include extradural extraosseous granuloma or a subdural granuloma. The indications for a decompression and myelotomy is an intramedullary granuloma. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic has been tested on past exams. The first question reads, A 9-year-old boy presents with back pain for 2 years. A lateral radiograph, sagittal CT, and MRI show a healed tuberculosis of the thoracolumbar spine with a 118-degree kyphotic deformity. Based on these findings, which of the following is true? And the choices are 1. There may be a mutation in the gene for a sulfate transporter protein. 2. An AP radiograph may demonstrate decreasing interpredicular distance from L1 to S1. 3. This infection shows preferential involvement of the vertebral body and sparing of the intervertebral disc. 4. Pathological cells demonstrate coffee bean nuclei with a prominent nuclear groove. And 5. Examination will also reveal cloudy corneas and mental retardation. The correct answer to this question is 3. This infection shows preferential involvement of the vertebral body and sparing of the intervertebral disc. So this child has a sharp gibbous or kyphus from Potts disease of the spine, otherwise known as spinal tuberculosis. Tuberculosis shows a predilection for the anterior vertebral body and spares the disc space until late in the disease, unlike pyogenic infections, which tend to start at the disc space. Again, tuberculosis tends to affect the vertebral bodies, sparing the disc. In adults, the deformity is static after the disease is cured. In children, kyphosis continues to increase in 40% of patients even after healing. In children, risk for progression is high when anterior resection and fusion alone is performed and lowest when both anterior and posterior fusion is performed. Jane et al. reviewed tuberculosis of the spine. They state that non-operative cases show an increase in deformity of 15 degrees. Indications for surgery include panvertebral lesions, therapeutically refractory disease, severe kyphosis, developing neurological deficit and lack of improvement or deterioration. Sharp kyphosis of greater than 60 degrees or one which is likely to progress requires anterior decompression, posterior shortening, posterior instrumentation, and anterior and posterior bone grafting in the active stage of the disease. Chang Wang et al. review anterior release, decompression, deformity correction, and instrumented fusion, followed by posterior osteotomy, deformity correction, and pedicle screw instrumented fusion of healed kyphosis in 16 children. They achieved good cosmesis in all patients and neurologic improvement in four patients. Kyphosis correction was from 55.8 degrees to 21.7 degrees postoperatively and 23.2 degrees at follow-up. Scoliosis correction was from 6.9 degrees to 0.8 degrees postoperatively and 0.9 degrees at follow-up. Moving on to the next question. A patient with Potts disease or tuberculosis of the spine is more likely to have which of the following early findings? And the choices are 1. Acute onset back pain and neurologic dysfunction. 2. Preservation of the disc space between the two affected adjacent end plates. 3. Involvement of the cervical spine and torticollis. 
four, elevated white blood cell count and markedly elevated erythrocyte sedimentation rate, and five, lordotic deformity in the late stages of the disease. The correct answer to this question is two, preservation of the disc space between two affected adjacent endplates. So tuberculosis of the spine typically has an indolent presentation. Unlike pyogenic infections of the spine, the disc space is usually preserved. Most commonly, the thoracic and lumbar spine are affected. Laboratory studies may be nonspecific. Delayed presentation usually results in neurologic compromise and a kyphotic deformity. Treatment includes a multi-drug regimen. Surgery is indicated for deformity correction or failure of medical treatment. Moving on to the next question. Where is the most common site for tuberculosis spondylitis in children? And the choices are 1. Anterior aspect of the lower thoracic region. 2. Anterior aspect of the cervical spine. 3. Posterior elements of the lower thoracic region. 4. Posterior elements of the cervical spine. And 5. Transverse process of the lower lumbar spine. The correct answer to this question is 1. Anterior aspect of the lower thoracic region. So in children, the main route of infection in skeletal tuberculosis is through hematogenous spread from a primary source. The mycobacterium is deposited in the end arterioles in the vertebral body adjacent to the anterior aspect of the vertebral end plate. Thus, the anterior portion of the vertebral body is most commonly involved. The lower thoracic region is the most common segment. Next, in decreasing order of frequency, are the lumbar, upper thoracic, cervical, and sacral regions. And moving on to the final question, a 19-year-old male with HIV presents with increasing neck pain, lower extremity weakness, and constitutional symptoms over the past four weeks. Radiographs and MRI are consistent with a tuberculosis infection in the spine with resulting compressive cervical myelopathy. A histological specimen with Zeal-Nielsen staining displays mycobacterium as, quote, red snappers against a blue background. In addition to surgical management, which of the following pharmacological regimens is most appropriate? And the choices are 1. Cyclophosphamide, hydroxydanorubicin, oncovin, and prednisone, 2. Nafcillin and rifampin, 3. Isoniazid, rifampin, pyrazidamide, and streptomycin, 4. Denusumab, ritonavir, and efavirenz, and 5. Vincristine, actinomycin D, and cyclophosphamide. The correct answer to this question is 3, isoniazid, rifampin, pyrazinamide, and streptomycin. So the clinical scenario is consistent with a tuberculosis infection in the spine, otherwise known as POTS disease, with resulting compressive cervical myelopathy. Tuberculosis infection often shows vertebral destruction with relative preservation of the disc spaces. As the infection progresses, the disc is also destroyed and a kyphotic deformity may be present. The Zeal-Nielsen stain displays the mycobacterium as, quote, red snappers against a blue background. Culture for acid-fast bacilli on Lowenstein-Jensen medium is diagnostic. Because this patient has a progressive neurologic deficit with radiographic evidence of cord compression, surgical decompression followed by pharmacologic therapy is indicated. Isoniazid, rifampin, pyrazinamide, and streptomycin is the first line of medical therapy. Ku et al., Note that since, quote, HIV-related tuberculosis demonstrates exceptionally high rates of spinal involvement, the prevalence of POTS disease will continue to increase rapidly across the globe over the next decade. They also note that medical treatment alone remains the cornerstone of therapy for the majority of POTS disease cases, and surgical intervention should be limited primarily to cases of severe or progressive deformity and or neurological deficit. 
That's all for this review about spinal tuberculosis. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. If you're enjoying the podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all tomorrow.